This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Alright, this morning we're continuing our series in The Dreamer, following the story of Joseph's life, and we're looking at Joseph's work. Over the course of your lifetime, you will spend 90,000 hours at work. Gosh, that's a lot of time, isn't it? 90,000 hours at work. Most of us work 8 to 10 hours a day, if not more. 40 to 60 hours a week. Over 2,000 hours a year. 90,000 hours over a lifetime. What does God think about your work? We can either underestimate the value of work or overestimate the value of work. We can say, work doesn't matter. It's just a way of paying the bills or I'm just going to work so I can go on that next holiday or work for the weekend or work isn't really as important as ministry. Or we can overemphasize work that work is all that matters and you're going to find all of your identity, all of your worth, all of your purpose in your work and potentially even make your career your idol. What does God think about your work? Today I want you to hear that your work is where God wants to use you. Your work is where God wants to use you. As we continue the story of Joseph, we're going to see God raise Joseph up into a position of incredibly powerful secular leadership to bless the world. Joseph's story parallels the story of Daniel and Esther, Daniel in Babylon, Esther in Persia. None of them were prophets, none of them were priests, none of them were spiritual leaders, but God rose all three up into the highest circles of secular power and used them mightily for his purposes. Many of you will be aware of William Wilberforce, the British abolitionist. Wilberforce campaigned for the abolition of the slave trade from 1787 to 1807, 20 years campaigning for abolition. And throughout his political career, Wilberforce wrestled with the question, can I serve God and nation in my work of parliament? And at a moment of crisis, he reached out to his mentor, John Newton, the famous hymn writer who wrote Amazing Grace, and John Newton responded this, William, God has raised you up for the good of our nation. Maintain your friendship with Pitt, the Prime Minister. Continue in Parliament. For who knows, but for such a time as this, God has brought you into public life and has a purpose for you. Today we're going to see that your work is not secondary to ministry, but neither is your work ultimate. We're going to see that your work is where God wants to use you. So let's pray as we begin. Pray with me. Father, we ask this morning that you would renew our sense of purpose in our workplace, in the places that you have planted us. Give us eyes to see how you are using our work to accomplish your plans in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we follow through Joseph's story in chapter 41, we're going to look at the place of work, 
the pressures of work and the possibility of work. I can see a few of you have got your notebooks out, if you're taking notes on your phone or in your notebook. The place of work, the pressures of work, and the possibility of work. So how did you answer Hope's question at the start? What is your dream job? My daughter Eva is in kindergarten at Glebe Public School and she had to give a speech in her class this term. When I grow up, I want to be... Eva said she wanted to be a doctor because she wanted to help people. Any doctors in the house? And she wanted to run a cafe because she loves food. Can you do both of them at the same time, be a doctor and run a cafe? When I was in primary school, I wanted to be a librarian because I love books and I love putting things in order. So I thought, oh, I could just stack books, like rearrange them. If anyone's been to any of my bookcases, you'll see that they're all alphabetical by author. And, and then when I was a bit older, I wanted to be an astrophysicist until I had the most boring week of my life doing week, work experience at Sydney Observatory. I asked our staff team this week what their dream jobs were when they were children. Matt Sparks, our lead pastor, said he wanted to be a rock star. He wanted to be Axl Rose from the Guns N' Roses. Hope Miles, who was emceeing, wanted to be an artist or work in the theatre. Arnaldo Santiago wanted to be a priest. James Dawson wanted to play cricket for Australia. And I mean, we could use him at the moment, strengthening our top six, couldn't we? James Wong wanted to be a policeman, inspired by his love of Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Chloe Stewart wanted to be a vet. One of our elders, Arna uh, not Arnado, Seti Latu wanted to be an astronaut. What about you? What do you want to be when you grow up? Now, today we're going to see Joseph raised up into a dream job, a position of extraordinary influence and power in the palace of Pharaoh. As you recall the story from last week, you remember that God gave Joseph interpretation for Pharaoh's dream, that there's going to be seven years of plenty coming, followed by seven years of famine, and God gave Joseph a plan to set a wise man over Egypt, to steward her resources, to prepare Egypt for the famine. And we'll pick up the story if you've got your Bibles open. Chapter 41, verse 37. Joseph's proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning as, and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only... As regards the throne, will I be greater than you? See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Joseph is raised up to one of the highest secular officers in the Egyptian culture. He's the 2IC to Pharaoh, a position of incredible power and influence, the equivalent of the Australian Prime Minister ruling our nation under the authority of the Queen. In verse 42, we see that Joseph is dressed for greatness. Pharaoh takes his signet ring and places it on Joseph's hand. The signet ring in the ancient world is a seal of Pharaoh's authority and power. It was pressed upon official documents. And so if you had the signet ring, you could act on Pharaoh's behalf. 
Joseph gets his own Egyptian version of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, a royal makeover. They clothe him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Now you remember right back to the start of the story that Joseph was given a royal robe by his father Jacob. And that robe right at the start was prophetic of the position of royalty and greatness that God would raise Joseph up into. And now he is truly dressed as royalty, dressed for greatness. And Pharaoh made Joseph ride around in his second chariot, kept calling out for him, bow the knee, everyone down, kneel. You know, if Joseph came to Sydney, he'd be in one of those black armoured cars, tinted windows, little flags on the front, flanked by security, police clearing the streets. Everyone would be like, man, who was that? Who's in that car? Who's that? Joseph coming to town. God didn't raise Joseph up to be a priest. He didn't put him in the temple. God rose Joseph up to be a secular leader in the palace. That's where God wanted to use him to bless the world. Now, of course, as we reflect on this, ministry is important. God's kingdom is advancing in the world and the church is at the forefront of his mission. We want everyone who's part of the Anchor family to serve on a team, to serve joyfully, and it's such a privilege to do that. But I want to tell you, church, that God doesn't want to use you just when you're at church. God doesn't want to use you just when you're at gospel community. Your work is where God wants to use you. You can serve God and neighbour where he's placed you. Now, I realise that for all of us, we have a very different experience of work. Some of us find it very difficult and frustrating and are not happy in our current job. Some of us are in our dream job. God's raised you up into a position of power and influence and opportunity. Your job satisfaction is high. And I want to remind you that as you go to work tomorrow, your work is where God wants to use you. Go to work on purpose for him, for his purposes. But for some of you, you might think, man, I'm in some dead-end job. My work doesn't matter. I'm getting no money. I want to remind you that there is no menial or unimportant work in God's eyes. When Jesus wrapped a towel around himself and took the position of a servant to wash his disciples' feet, he, he dignified the humblest of callings. Martin Luther, the German reformer, wrote this as he compared the office of priest, which was like the social elite in the 16th century, to some of the kind of lowly jobs in his day. He wrote this, The works of the priest are no different in God's sight than the works of labourers or cleaners. All works are measured before God by faith alone. The farmer shoveling manure, the maid milking her cow, they all please God just as much as the priest preaching or praying. Whatever job you have is an opportunity for you to serve God and neighbour. Now, for some of you, you're unhappy. You're unhappy in your job. You're looking for a change. I want to say there's definitely a time to change jobs. You might be in, a, in an abusive work environment. You might be in a job where there really is no opportunity, no prospect of progression. You might have been retrenched and forced to change. But I want to encourage this church not to jump ship today just because it's difficult. You see, 
God didn't take Joseph straight from Canaan, straight to Egypt, did he? He went through 13 years of imprisonment and servitude where God shaped his character, where he learnt patience and perseverance and dependence on God to prepare him for the palace. Remember God's word through Matt last week. Matt Sparks preached and said that where you are is where God wants you and he's working on you in your waiting. You see, God may be preparing you for a position of greatness tomorrow, but he has you where you are today. Your calling is not future tense. God has placed you in a family, a neighbourhood, a church, a workplace on purpose. He's got you there for a reason. And it may be hard, but he wants you to show up tomorrow on purpose, to be faithful with what's in front of you, to be patient, to learn endurance, to allow God to shape your character in those seasons of difficulty. Your work, no matter what it is, is where God wants to use you. As we reflect on Joseph's story, he's given a dream job. He's raised up to a high station. He learns dependence in the pit. How will he respond to the pressures of the palace, the pressures of work? Joseph faces the pressure to conform. He's given that royal makeover. He's given wealth and privilege, clothed with royal robes, riding in the royal chariot. He's given an Egyptian name in verse 45, Zaphonath Panea. He's given an Egyptian wife. Will Joseph allow his life in the palace to shape his heart? Will Joseph allow his life in the palace to shape his inner life and draw him away from God? This is a danger that all of us face. You see, you don't just turn up to work and do a job. Your workplace shapes you. Your workplace shapes your worldview, your values, your character. Our workplaces are schools of moral formation. For so many of us, the workplace becomes our arena of self-actualization. In our society, work has become fundamental to our identity. You ask, who are you? I'm a lawyer. That's an identity statement. I'm a social worker. That's an identity statement. I'm a graphic designer. I'm a nurse. And so we find so much of our sense of worth and value in our career. And because we pin that to our career, we've got no other choice but to work our way up the ladder, to make a name for ourselves, to prove ourselves to the world, to try and get more and more. And so the pressures of our workplace culture end up shaping our inner life. So the question that we face and that Joseph faced is this. How can we resist the pressures of work and not conform to the world? We've got a few options. We can retreat and just reject secular work. Maybe say, well, I'm only going to work in a Christian business. Or we can just fully immerse ourselves in it and conform to the pattern of the world. But neither of those 
our responses for someone that follows Jesus. Jesus is calling us to have faithful presence in our workplace, to contribute without conforming, to be engaged in secular work while remaining distinct from it. You see, as Christians, God has called us out of the world. He's called us to be a holy people, set apart to him, and yet he sent us back into the world as salt and light. He calls us to have a faithful presence, contributing without conforming. And so how can, how can we have that faithful presence in our work? Faithful presence requires preparation of heart. Faithful presence requires preparation of heart. We, requ we require the inner renewal of the spirit as we apply the gospel to our lives. We remember that in Christ we have a secure identity given to us by God that he's given us a name as sons and daughters loved by him. And so we don't need to make a name for ourselves. We don't need to find our identity, define ourselves by our work because God has given us a secure identity. We remember that God has given us true riches in Christ, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. And so we can be content and generous with what we have rather than endlessly striving for more. We remember that as people that have been justified by Christ, God is pleased with us. We have his full approval. And so we can do our work with freedom and joy in response to grace rather than constantly seeking to prove ourselves. Faithful presence requires preparation of heart. In Joseph's story, we see his faithful presence for God in the palace even in the midst of the pressures of his secular workplace. By no means is Joseph perfect, but he does maintain his faith in God. And we see this in two ways. First, in the names that Joseph gives to his children in verses 51 and 52. And remember, in the ancient world, names are incredibly significant and they give us a clue to things that are happening in the narrative for the characters. So that Joseph's first child he calls Manasseh. And Manasseh has this kind of meaning in Hebrew. For God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And Ephraim, for God has, given, has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so as Joseph reflects on his life and his position, he realizes that it's God, it's God's hidden hand that has been worked throughout all these years of his imprisonment. And it's God's hidden hand that has raised him up to this position of greatness. Joseph maintains his faith in God by naming his kids. Second way we see that Joseph maintains his faith in God is that he trusts God's word about the famine. You know, in the face of seven years of prosperity, seven years of plenty, it'd be so easy for Joseph to forget about the famine, wouldn't it? Just relax, Joseph. Is there really a famine coming? I mean, we've had five years of bumper crops, just forget about it. Just relax. Let's enjoy it. But no, Joseph is disciplined in enacting the plan that God gave to him. Every year he puts aside 20% of all of Egypt's grains in its storehouses preparing for the famine. God has called us to have a faithful presence for him in the workplace, contributing without conforming. Now, as you go to work tomorrow, you don't just consume a culture, but you 
contribute to the culture of your workplace. And for each of us, we have the opportunity tomorrow to subvert our workplace culture with grace and godliness. In Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavour, which is a book about work that I'd recommend, Tim Keller tells the story of an investment banker in New York City who's presented with an investment opportunity for his bank that promises excellent returns. But the banker is concerned by the, the ethics of this investment and the ethics of the business that he's being presented with. He's concerned that the business actually damages society, in his mind, according to his own moral stance. It's not illegal, but he deems it unethical for him. And so he's caught in this ethical dilemma for him personally. What's going to be best for the bank, for his company, for his clients, seems to be different to what he can personally do with his own morals and ethics. So what does he decide to do? Well, for this banker, what he decides to do is he decides to go ahead with the investment for the bank, but for him personally, he decides that he won't take a bonus that comes from it, that he personally won't profit from the investment because of his ethical stance. And he announces that to his team. The investment goes ahead, everyone else gets bonuses, and this guy would have normally got a bonus from this investment, but he chooses to forgo that. Uh, because of his stance. He subverted his workplace culture with grace and godliness. Your character at work matters. It's not just about what you do, but about how you do it. And so in the face of the pressures of the workplace, what will it look like for you to have a faithful presence for God this week, contributing without conforming? Well, finally, we see the possibility of work for us and for Joseph from verse 53. Read along with me. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to do, do it. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe all over the earth. Now, as we think about what's happening geographically in the land of Egypt at this time, Lower Egypt, which is in the north, the delta region, is virtually rainless. And so all the agriculture relies on rain coming down the Nile River from the south, down near Sudan. The entire agricultural economy is dependent on the Nile summer floods as the irrigation systems distributed those floodwaters into, into the um, crops. And so as the rains stop in the south, the Nile River levels drop, the fields don't get irrigated, and the crops suffer. And so the rain stops in the south, the famine arrives in the north, nowhere has grain apart from Egypt because Joseph has been obedient to God, he's put aside 20% of the grain for all those seven years and now Egypt has grain to bless the world. See, 
here we see that Joseph acts as God's instrument for salvation to the world. As people come to buy grain from him, they declare in chapter 47, verse 25, they say, Joseph, you have saved our lives. Joseph acts as God's instrument of salvation. Now, do you remember God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12? God promised to Abraham that he would bless him and that through him he would bless all the world. And we see here in Joseph's story that God is coming good on that promise. Through Joseph, this son of Abraham, all the world is blessed. And we get a clue here to the possibility of work. We see here that Joseph's work isn't for his own benefit. Joseph is stewarding his position, he's stewarding the resources of Egypt to bring blessing to the world. See, the possibility of work is this. God is inviting you to partner with him in his love and care of the world. God is inviting you to partner with him in his love and care of the world. Your work is where God wants to use you. In your work, you are taken up into God's loving action towards his world, not as co-redeemers, but as instruments of grace. Through your work, God is caring for his world. As we work at our workplace, we become agents of God's providential care. In the evening, we pray for our daily bread, and in the morning, the baker rises to bake it. Through our work, the naked are clothed, the hungry are fed, the sick are healed. Through our work, we act in obedience to God's commandment to humanity in Genesis 2, to lovingly rule creation on his behalf. Through our work, we fulfill the great commandments to love God and love our neighbour, working for the Lord, our work pleasing to him, and stewarding the resources of creation to serve others and create caring communities. God is inviting you to partner with him in his love and care for the world. How is your work good? How is your work good? It's important for each of us to discern the answer to that question. How our work is a blessing to the world. As we answer that question, we'll arrive at a deeper sense of purpose and see the impact that God has for our work in the world. Now, there are some industries that are bad, that are damaging to creation, that are damaging to community. But for most of us, we're working in industries where we, God is using us to care for his world. So how is your work good? How is my work good? Some industries are more obvious than others. If you're in the healthcare industry, you are caring for people's physical bodies. You are bringing blessing to their bodies. If you're in the emergency services, you're helping to create safe communities, rescuing people from danger. If you're in education, you're equipping people to be productive citizens. If you're in any of the construction industries, you're building physical infrastructure to allow our communities to flourish. If you're in finance, money helps to order the sharing of good things. You're helping to create an environment where we can share resources with one another. 
If you're in public service, you are shaping a just and equitable society for everyone. How is your work good? How is God using your work to bring his blessing to the world? Your work is where God wants to use you. It's not evil. It's not menial. It's not just a way of paying the bills or getting ready for your next holiday. Through your work, God is caring for his world. As a staff team, we believe this is really important for us to grapple with. And so we're really excited to say that uh, for the back end of this year, we're doing a six-week teaching series on work called 90,000 Hours, The Beauty and Purpose of Work. So that's starting on the 20th of October. I hope today has whet your appetites for that. You're feeling hungry and ready to learn. 90,000 Hours starting on the 20th of October. As we close, I want to tell another story about another man in Australia that God raised up into a position of incredible secular leadership to bring his blessing and care to the world. Benjamin Short arrived in Australia from England in 1860 at 27 years old. He's looking a bit... He's lost his hair pretty young there. Benjamin convinced AMP to hire him as an insurance salesman, which was a role that was unheard of at the time. Benjamin really had an entrepreneurial spirit, a pioneering spirit, and just approached them and said, hey, I want to be an insurance salesman. And they said, all right, let's do this. Benjamin, at that time, there was no welfare from the state. There were very few charities. And Benjamin Short saw life insurance as vital to prevent families from falling into poverty. And so he walked around Sydney's streets selling life insurance policies, and he was really good at it. In his first year alone, he sold the equivalent in today's money of $10 million worth of life insurance. But as he walked around the streets of Sydney, he didn't just walk through kind of the high streets. He walked through the urban slums. He walked through Redfern and Glebe, Surrey Hills and Chippendale. He walked through the rocks. They're all places we'd like to live now. But at that time, they were, they were slums, urban slums. And he wrote that he saw their squalid poverty and hideous vice. God raised Benjamin Short up into a, a position of secular leadership, an incredibly successful businessman who experienced a burning desire to help the poor. And so in 1862, Benjamin launched the Sydney City Mission, which today you'd know as Mission Australia an organisation committed to helping vulnerable Australians move towards independence. And today, Benjamin Short's vision and legacy continues as Mission Australia helps some of the most disadvantaged people in our society, the homeless, disadvantaged families and children, those struggling with mental illness, substance abuse, and many more. You see, God didn't, plant, God didn't call Benjamin to plant a church as much as we love planting churches. God didn't call Benjamin to be a cross-cultural missionary as much as we love sending missionaries out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God rose Benjamin up as a secular leader to, so that through him he could care for the world. Your work is where God wants to use you. He's put you there for a reason. And so as you go to work tomorrow, I want you to go there on purpose. As you're sitting on the bus, 
as you're sitting on the train, as you're walking the street, as you're driving in the car, I want you to remind yourself, today, I'm going to work to serve you, God. You have a purpose for me. You want to use me to extend your blessing to the world. Go to work on purpose. Ask the Lord to use you, to shape your character there so that you might be a faithful presence for him. God is using us as his instrument to care for the world. We see his hidden hand revealed in the labour of our hands. Your work is where God wants to use you. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph. We thank you that through him and then through Jesus and now through us, you are extending your blessing to the world. Father, we ask that you would renew our sense of purpose in our work, that you give us eyes to see what you are doing through us, how our work is good, how you're using it to extend your blessing to the world. Father, this morning I want to pray for anyone here that's struggling in their workplace, that's feeling defeated, that's feeling down and out. Father, may you lift them up again this morning. May you prepare them to be a faithful presence for you tomorrow and even in that season of difficulty to be open to how your spirit is forming their character. Father, we ask that as a community of faith here this morning that we would be able to stand shoulder to shoulder as we we work in all our different industries, that we'd be able to spur each other on, support one another in the difficulties, and that you would use your church to extend your blessing to the world through our work. And we pray this in Jesus' name.